Uh, as we come to God's Word, second part of our series, why don't I pray for us? Join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your Word. We thank you that it speaks to all parts of our lives. We thank you for what we've heard from Ephesians chapter 4 as we've read it, about turning from darkness and walking in the light. As we think about work today, we pray that we'll do so walking in the light of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to use your imagination for a second time. Uh, You have to apply your imagination. Here it is. I want you to imagine you've become financially independent. You've suddenly become financially independent, okay? I'm sure you've never thought about this ever before. What would you do with the rest of your life? Just have a think. What would you do with the rest of your life? Okay, now while you're thinking that, I've got a little app on my phone that I've just invented during the week in my spare time. This app, when I, when I push the button, will beam your thoughts up onto the projector. So just clarify what you're thinking. What will you do with the rest of your life? Let's put them all up here to see. Here we go. It's not working. Oh, that is embarrassing. That always happens when you're going to deliver software. It never works at that last minute when you need it. What a shame. Maybe you're not so worried about that after all. What did you think to start off with? Of course I can't beam your thoughts up on the screen, but what did you think? What will you use the rest of your life to do if there was no money required? And did you change when you knew that everybody else would see what you think you would do? A few nods. A few honest people out there. It's great. Well, I hope, I hope it gives you a little bit of an insight because today what we're going to do is we're going to try and work out what we should do with our lives. We're going to think about without money, without thinking through the lens of money, but thinking through the lens of the gospel, what it is we're on about. It's the second part of our Made to Work series and I want us to reimagine work without money as being the primary reason for thinking about your work. To put it another way, we are made to work, but what does it mean practically? What will you do? What will you change? Now, if you weren't here last week, it's going to make no sense at all, because really this talk is one talk in two parts, and Phil wouldn't let me have an hour last week, so it's just flowed over to this week. So let me just recap a little bit what we've been doing uh, in the past week or so. Uh, God created us to work. If you remember last week, he created us and he gave us a creation mandate. It's up on the screen. Uh, Kev's inspired me to have some slides lately, so I'm going to have some slides tonight, some tables. God made us to work. He told us, fill creation, subdue creation, and do it under him. But we recall from last week, humans sinned, and that broke work. It means that our work becomes toil. And we're separated from God even as we work. And so where do we stand? We don't want that yet. Where do we stand? We stand separated from God. We stand under God's judgment. We stand condemned to toil, endlessly gathering and accumulating, gathering and accumulating. Now, if you remember the teacher from Ecclesiastes last week, he said, well, maybe that's not good enough. Maybe I can find meaning in my work. And we chased down what he tried as we went through last week. And so he said, wait a minute, maybe I am what I produce. Maybe there, there is value. No. Then he said, well, maybe I am what I do. Maybe what I do 
brings value to my life? The answer was no. He said, well, I work. Maybe that justifies my life. Maybe that gives value to what I do. But he thought about all of that, and to put it in sort of crass modern lingo like I did last week, he discovered that work sucks. Work sucks, then you die. That was his conclusion. And it was all very depressing stuff. And fortunately, we didn't go home right at that moment. I was able to go a little bit longer last week. Because the Christian view does not end there. Uh, The Christian view has a lot more to say. We don't think work sucks, then you die, and that's the end. We were reminded of a wonderful truth last week. That God himself, he has been working. Remember, he set Christ above all things. And he is working that Christ will be the head over all things forever. That is God's great work. And we saw that the teacher said, connect yourself with God if you want to find joy. That's where you find your joy in your work. And as Christians, we can see, well, if you're going to connect yourself to God, you do it through the Lord Jesus Christ. So connect yourself with Jesus, then look for value in your work. That's where we got up to last week. And that's kind of my rush summary of what last week was all about. Uh, It only took 60 seconds this time around, so I don't know what I was doing last week. I should have just gone faster. But today we're going to focus on what do we do with this? What do we practically do with all of this in crazy, busy Sydney 2016? Well, keep your Bible open to Ephesians uh, chapter 2, and we're going to use Ephesians as a bit of a model tonight. So keep it there, but also you'll have your outline which shows you where we're heading. So Ephesians 2 verse 8. Follow along with this. For you are saved by grace, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time, so that we would walk in them. These verses are actually talking about something wonderful. They're talking about the unprecedented change that we've seen through human history as Jesus has come into the world and how faith transforms everything. So my little table on the left-hand side, your left-hand side, is the dark side. That's where we stand. On the right-hand side, through faith, this is where we now stand. Here's the logic of these two little verses that we had a look at. Jesus... He subdues sin and death. That's what verse 8 was about. He conquers sin and death for us. Having done that, he's dealt with sin and death. He now establishes a new kingdom. And he starts calling us, all of us, into his kingdom. It's a new creation. And he wants you to be a part of it by faith. He is filling up his new creation with people who are faithful. Jesus is subduing and Jesus is filling If you remember our creation mandate, fill, subdue, we couldn't do it. We failed. But Jesus has done it. He is subduing and filling. And so verse 10 is all about how we have been remade. We've been remade and so we have new purpose. The old uh, creation mandate is replaced with a recreation mandate. And what is that? Well, our mandate is to do the good work God has prepared for us to do. That's our recreation mandate. Now, this is wonderful because if you're a Christian, what is your meaning of life? 
Well, it's to fulfill the good works that God's prepared for you to do. You have a role, you have purpose, you have valuable work to do. And that is great news because the alternative is gathering and accumulating and dying and facing judgment or doing the good works that God has made you to do. Now, it'd be great if Paul sort of goes on to verse 11 and says, now, here is the authoritative list of good works. Here are all the good works. And he's going to write it out and he's going to go like, Avril, here is your list of good works. You just tick these off and you've done your good works. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that was the truth? But no, instead Paul paints a picture. He paints a picture of what it is to do the good works. And so if we want to find out what the good works are, we need to see the picture of Ephesians. Now I'm sure Phil will say, no, you can't have the rest of the time to read Ephesians again. So we're going to cheat and just jump through some verses of Ephesians to see the picture that Paul is painting. So follow with me. If you can flip fast, you can follow. Ephesians 2.18, what are we to do? We're to live as unified citizens of God's house. 3.8, we, the people of God, are to proclaim the gospel. 3.17, we are to be firmly established in God's love. 4.1, we're to walk worthy of our calling with humility, gentleness, patience, love, keeping unity. 4.7, we're to exercise word ministry-based gifts. Uh, things like speaking, teaching, training, building people up, building the body of Christ up to maturity. 4.15, we're to speak the truth in love, and each is to grow as a part of Christ's body. Uh, 4.22, we're to no longer walk in sin. 4.25, we're to speak the truth to our neighbour. 5.11, we're not to participate in fruitless evil works. 5.15, we pay careful attention, so we live wise Christian lives because... Well, the days are evil. The rest of chapter 5, it goes on to say, rejoice, sing songs, you're in Christian community. Praise God. It goes on to say, as we get into chapter 6, live transformed lives in all your relationships, in your household, in your occupation. Live transformed Christian lives. And as you do all of this, stand. Stand in the gospel, stand in the truth and pray. Uh, Here is a picture a painting of the Christian life. This is what we're to do. These are all the good works, and boy, aren't they diverse. A whole range of them. Not everyone will do every single one of them. It's a diverse range of good works for us to do. You might say, really, you are to live the transformed life that Jesus has given you. Be Christian in all that you do. And we read that chapter because in all of that chapter, chapter 3 and 4, it's going on to say, live your new life. Live your new life in Christ. So, with all that in the background, I want to propose a way of thinking about our work. Sort of a framework for thinking about our work. What Paul is saying here is really just fleshing out one picture of what Jesus was teaching in the first place. So we'll go back to what Jesus taught, the categories Jesus taught. He taught us about work. He said, love God. And he said, love your neighbour. He said, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. He said, go ahead and make disciples in my name. Now what Paul is doing is saying, well, let's flesh that out even more. What does that look like practically? But these are the categories he is using as much as we do. And if we jump around the New Testament, we can paint various pictures of the good works that we are made to do just by going around the whole New Testament. And that is something we definitely don't have time to do all of tonight. 
The point of a picture like this, though, a point of a table like this, is to simplify it all a little bit. You can do the work and build this picture up so that you can see it as well. But this table helps us to work out where everything fits in, how our work fits in, and all the different parts of our work work together. So, make no mistake, everything has changed. If you're a Christian, you are no longer about gathering and accumulating. You are about working for the Lord, doing the good works you're made to do. But really, we need to be practical about that. What, what does that actually mean for you? How do you decide? And we can't go around every single person in the room and say, well, for you, it might look like this, and for you, it looks like this. But we need a framework for thinking about it. So this is what is on the screen, and we're going to refer to this as we go along. We need to ask questions of it. And so that's what we're going to do for the rest of the time. I've come up with this great idea. Well, you can tell me if it's great. I think it's great. We're going to have question time where I answer the questions and I ask the questions. What a great idea. Why have I never thought about preaching sermons like this all the time? I'll just ask myself questions, set myself up to give the answers I want to give. Fantastic. Today we're doing that. We're doing 10 questions about work. So you see them listed out in your outline. And I I hope they cover the broad range of questions that we might ask. So question one, Jason. (laughs) It's going to be confusing, right? Jason, what is the point of rest? Jason, you're so silly. We're talking about work, not rest. You've gotten confused. What's going on here? How about I spare a little bit of time for this foolish question? It's off topic, but rest. During the week, some of you did Bible studies on rest, so you already know all the answers because you've done the work. But for those that weren't around at Gospel Team this week, God knows that we are human, okay? He knows that we are weak. He knows that we tire. He didn't make you to be a worker drone, 7 by 24, 365 days a year. He made creation and he rested at the end of creation. And he instituted rest for his own people. He called it the Sabbath. He told them and taught them by the Sabbath, trust me. Don't be like the world. Take a day off. Trust me. On your day off, remember the promises of God. Enjoy the creation that God has given you. Enjoy the community of people that he has established. It was rest on the Sabbath for the Old Testament people. Now, many of those things still apply to this day. Rest is necessary for us in our humanity. It's a blessing to refresh and restore, and I'm sure you know that. But rest is not the main game. So when you put your picture up on the screen, or when we didn't put your picture up on the screen, if you were imagining yourself lying on a beach, feet up for the next 60 years, no, that is not what we're about. It is not the main game. It would be tragic if you spend the rest of your life lying on a beach while people are perishing and going to hell, right? How can we let that happen? That would be irresponsible as Christians. Rest is not the main game, not in this age. We look forward to wonderful rest. As Christ returns, we'll see the true Sabbath rest. But now, rest restores us. It keeps us going. God gave it to us as a blessing so that we can keep doing the good works he made for us to do. That's what rest is for. It's worth thinking about your rest in line with that. Okay, question two. I'll leave you to go and do that Bible study to think about that more. Question two. Well, Jason, where is my job on the screen? I can't see it. You've got your categories, but there is no job on the screen. You're correct, Jason. Now, I like the way this Jason 
is saying your job. That's a good way to think about it. Think about your paid job in that category. It's not your work, it's your paid job. It's a part of your work, but it's only one part. So where does it fit? Well, here's where these things fit. Here's Ephesians. Here's all those things I mentioned. Building up, putting off sin, caring for others, standing firm, praying, serving, proclaiming, giving, sharing, speaking the truth. All of these things, including your paid job, come under the broader categories. So where is your job? Well, one way to see a job is that it flows out of your love for God. Why do you work a paid job? Well, because God's not a fan of laziness. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before. He doesn't like it at all. So Proverbs 28, uh, verse 19. The one who works his land will have plenty of food, but whoever chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Uh, Paul makes that much clearer in 2 Thessalonians. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. If you love the Lord, you work. You'll go about your business. 1 Timothy 5.8 really puts its finger on you. If anyone does not provide for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. God actually expects that we take care of our needs. He doesn't think you should just sort of hang around bludging off others. You're responsible for yourself and you are responsible for those in your household that you live with. Of course, there'll be times when you're out of work, you can't get paid work, you're sick. Well, it's great to have a church because they can help you out at those times. But in general, God wants you to be industrious, to not be bored and hanging around sinning, but to get on with working. Another reason that you might work is out of love for your neighbour. Lots of jobs help our society to function, so you might work to help our society function. You might work to be able to share, to give to your church, to share with other people. But can you see how your paid job isn't the primary category? It flows out of what God's work is in this age. It flows out of other things, like many of the things on the screen. Question three. We'll go back to the main table. Question three. Jason, I didn't really mean paid job. I I, I really meant actually not your category of work, not the paid job separation that you made. I want to know if I'm called to a particular job. I want to know if I have a job vocation that God has ordained. Am I called to that? The language of calling can be really unhelpful at times. Christians use it loosely all the time. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the Bible, the language of calling is about being called to Christ. That's what you're called to. He calls you into his kingdom. There is no better calling. If you're looking for a better calling, you've missed the point. You are called into his kingdom. So, as you work, you aren't called to be a doctor or called to be a dentist or called to be whatever it is. You are called to be a Christian and a Christian version of whatever the job is that you do. So if you're worried, as you work, if you're worried about being faithful... Well, be a Christian. Let's use the categories that Paul introduces here. He says, exercise your gifts. Exercise your gifts in your church. Love your brothers and sisters. Build up the church. In fact, in this particular passage in Ephesians 4, he says there's a real priority on exercising word-based gifts. Those in particular will build up the church. Now, if we go wider in the New Testament, there are other gifts that God gives so that you can build up the church. 
But here, the real priority is the word-based gifts. Now, don't think, oh, well, that's not me. It's actually the opposite. Strive for, if you want to be faithful and do what God is calling you to do, strive for the word-based gifts. I find it hard to believe that you couldn't be involved in some word-based ministry. If you tell me that, well, I'm going to give you an old age home to go to and you can sit with a 95-year-old and share what you know about Jesus. You can do that, right? You can tell them why you love Jesus as they are on the end of their life. You could be involved in jitterbugs, teaching story time. You could go talk to Brendo about how you could be involved in youth group. You could talk to Troy about how you could lead a gospel team. Being involved in word-based gifts, pray for the gifts and go about getting involved. That's a way to be faithful, responsible, and fulfilling your calling as a Christian. Of course, we really want to know, but why aren't I called to be a doctor? Why aren't I called to be a dentist? It's funny how no one ever says, why aren't I called to be a garbage truck driver? Isn't that funny? Don't you think that's weird that people are so quick to say, I think I'm called to be a doctor, but nobody's called to be a garbage truck driver. But I love our garbage going away. Don't you love that? If you've ever been anywhere where they don't have garbage services, you know, at 9am this morning, I was really excited because a guy came up to me afterwards and said, I'm a garbage truck driver. Thank you for mentioning what I do and saying thank you. No one ever does that. I really appreciate garbage services. But no matter what you do, you do it as a Christian. That's what you're called to be. When it comes to what specific job you will do, well, the Bible leaves... heaps of room for you, which is a good thing. I presume you know that there is a bit of a limit. You shouldn't do anything sinful. That shouldn't be surprising. The thief should no longer steal, right? So if you're great at taking stuff and you're a Christian, you've got to stop. You've got to repent. If you took the Bexley North Gate, (laughs) I'm looking to see if anyone did that. Still haven't found the culprit. You need to repent. And turn back, you can't sin in your work. At least don't choose something that makes you and requires you to sin. Of course, many jobs will test you. They'll ask you to sin for all sorts of reasons in all sorts of areas. Uh, You'll have to make wise career choices to limit that. And I remember even in banking, in the corporate world, being asked to do something that exploited customers. Who would have thought? Banks exploit customers. And I said... No, I'm a Christian. I won't do that. And I was really hoping that they'd say, well, we're going to fire you for being a Christian. Because what a great story, right? <laughs> I'm going to get another job. It was all right. But in the end, it sort of blew over and my boss sided with me. As the West moves as it, as it is away from Christ, you're going to be tested in your work. So if you've got the choice to choose something where you're not going to be asked to sin, do it. Great. But be ready to stand, because in most jobs, you're going to have to choose not to sin for yourself. So these things aside, well, what job do you do? Well, apply godly wisdom. If you can choose a job that aligns with what you like to do, great. If you can choose a job that exercises the gifts that God's given you to build up his church, and then they overflow to everyone else, well, wouldn't that be wonderful? If you can choose a job that's more flexible than one that sort of ties you to a desk... Well, take the flexibility and do the good works in all the spheres that God has made you to do. If you love your job, well, praise God, because remember last week, we don't expect that. If you haven't worked out what you're going to do with your life yet, why don't you have a deep think about that? 
I reckon you should talk to some older people who have made career choices who are Christian and say, can I still do good works as a Christian in broad-ranging ways if I do your job? Then you'll get the truth. Then they'll say, no, actually, I wouldn't choose this. If I could go back in time, I wouldn't have done this. I have no chance to serve the Lord. And if you're looking to change your job, well, I encourage you to do what one guy did up at Bexley North. Uh, He was having not many opportunities to be involved in some of the ministries he thought he'd like to be involved in, so he changed jobs. And he said to them right up front, I want to have Thursday morning off, I want to teach scripture. I want to be involved in that. And they said, well, you're going to be managing a big team of people. You're going to have to be on the ground here all the time. And he pushed back a little bit and they said, okay, fine, we want you. Great. So he's able to teach scripture regularly. Isn't that a great thing? As you move jobs, set your conditions. See what you can do. It's funny if you ask, sometimes God will answer the prayer and sometimes your boss will go right along with it. Be bold and ask for opportunity so that you can use your workplace as a place to do good works, and have plenty of time to do other good works as well. Well, question five. Sometimes, maybe you've thought like this, I feel like my job is just the ATM church. I just work to give money away. Is that true? No. Now, I hope you know why, because we just did 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 in church. You've heard two sermons on it. That's not true. I know people think like that because I have. I became a Christian sort of halfway through my university time, so I went out into the workplace, still working lots of things out. And I felt early on that I was just working to give my money away and everyone was asking me for money left, right and centre. The problem was mine. There was a heart problem in me that needed to be changed and I needed to be told, that's not the way you should think. Uh, We don't need to point out the 2 Corinthians series uh, just at the moment other than to say... Think of the Macedonian churches. Remember what they did? They begged to contribute to the gospel. They begged. Do you ever beg to contribute to the gospel? That's how we think about our money when we're at work. What a privilege to partner. Now, the way I used to think about it was I knew how much money I was giving as a percent. So every minute I knew how much time I was actually directly supporting gospel work. I could work it out. I could say, right. These five seconds of this minute where I'm really having a bad day, at least that five seconds is contributing to the gospel. Sarah Scholl is overseas, able to do the work she's doing because I'm here for these five seconds. Next minute, all over again. Wonderful. The toil is minimised as I think, well, I'm working here, I'm being responsible, but also I'm able to do so much more. If you want to think more about whether your job is just an ATM for church, listen to the sermons again from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Question six, should I just use my job as a platform for evangelism? No. That might surprise some of you. Should I use my job just as a platform for evangelism? Uh, Actually, in Ephesians 6, we're told to work responsibly. Look at what slaves are commanded. Now, I must say we're not slaves, and thank God for that, but how much more... Will we obey human masters with fear and trembling in sincerity of your heart as to Christ? Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. We're not slaves. Of course we're not slaves in our jobs. 
but we're to be reliable workers. We're to be full of integrity, self-motivated. You don't need your boss watching over you to do your job. You dishonour the Lord if you do. We don't steal assets. We don't steal time. Not from the boss. Of course, we know our true boss is not the guy at work. Our true boss is the Lord Jesus. And so we serve as if serving him. We serve with that kind of attitude because we report to him in the end. So no, your job is not just a platform for evangelism. But, and you knew a but was coming, but what an opportunity. What an opportunity in your workplace just by statistics. You are probably one of the only Christians amongst all these non-Christians who don't know any Christians. And they are watching you. And they are watching how you work. And they've got the hypocrisy meter turned way up. And they're just looking for you to fail. They watch. But what an opportunity to share your life with them. What an opportunity to share your hope. Now people say to me, I'm not allowed to share my hope in Jesus in my workplace. Well, you know what to do. Take it out of your workplace. Go out to lunch. People do that, right? Go out to lunch and talk about your hope. Invite them back to your place. Middle-aged people are totally shocked when they get an invite from a work colleague to their house for a barbecue. I don't know why that is, but I've found it to be the case. I reckon middle-aged non-Christian people actually pretty boring lives that they live. They're watching TV and they have a little bit of social stuff every now and again. If you're in your 20s and you're non-Christian, you'll be going, no, no, that's we have lots of fun. Wait till you get to your 40s. An invitation at your work colleague's house to have a barbecue... It's great. Sure, we'll be there with bells on. What time should we be there? God blesses those kind of things. I know Heather and I have had wonderful privilege of leading people to Christ just by inviting workmates home. Do it. Pray for your friends. What an opportunity. Your job is not just for evangelism, but you're a Christian. So your job is to work with integrity as a Christian. Bring your hope into your workplace. Don't undermine your hope by being a poor worker, but bring your hope into your workplace so that you may share your life with others. Question seven. One plug before I go to question seven. If you work in the city and you've never heard of City Bible Forum, that's a great little group if you work in the city or Chatswood or North Sydney to connect with, to get the resources and the opportunities to share the gospel with your friends. If you don't know how to do it any other way, Well, invite them along to City Bible Forum. That's a great opportunity. Okay, question seven. What is my work if I'm unemployed or retired or just a mum? Now, I want to say this to many of you before you, I know some of you have already got to that stage, but before most of you get to this stage of life, never, as a Christian, think just a mum about anybody. Please don't. That comes out of Christian males' mouths way too often, and it shouldn't. There's no such thing as just a mum. In God's economy, what a wonderful privilege. And if you're a mum who can do it full time, what an even greater privilege. Because the opportunities are wonderful as a mum in our community. It's one of the most open times you'll ever have to share your hope. Uh, Paid work is not better than unpaid work. Just get that into your head now before you make big decisions in life. Uh, Christians who are unemployed for a season, out of work, can't get a job. Nothing changes for them. God still loves them. Their identity is still the same. All that's changed is that they need to trust God to provide for themselves. That's what's changed. 
Yes, it's hard. It's hard to be out of work. I've sat with people who are really struggling with that. But it's an opportunity to trust God. It's an opportunity to find, well, fulfilling work outside of the workplace. There's lots that you can do. But pray that God will give you the job. Work as if for the Lord as you look for one. But use the time to overflow into other ways. Some people go and help out at their church. Some people go and help out in the community while they're looking for their jobs. You can do lots of great work and you're not less valuable than anyone else. And as for retirement, I don't know how many of you are actually approaching retirement, but as for retirement, good to know now, here's your newsflash, you're not retiring. It's not because the government keeps raising the age group. Christians don't retire. We just don't retire. The good works we have to do go until Jesus comes back or you die. You just keep working. There is no pre-heaven heaven, which so many people seem to live. Unfortunately, most of them, that is the only heaven they'll ever get because they've turned their back on the Lord Jesus. We don't have retirement. Retirement is an opportunity to serve the Lord and to do even more good works for his kingdom that you could when you're chained to your desk. Now is the time to start saying these kind of things about unpaid work so that you never fall into the trap of thinking your paid job is where it is at. That is one part of your work. Question eight. What if I have enough money? I don't know how many of you have ever asked yourself that question. Far from that, probably. But there are two groups in church life that actually can ask that question and do ask that question. For people who are about 10 years off retirement, maybe that's some of you, often there is actually enough money. Often, if you're honest with yourself, you could live on that for the rest of your life. And the other group are are couples, two-income families. They have way more than they need often. They don't need to have two people working. Those two groups will come to people like me and they'll say, we probably have enough money, but I don't know what else I'd do. It feels like I'd be just wasting my time if I didn't go off to work, so I'm just going to keep working. You don't have any other ideas, do you? At which point, we'd jump in and people like Troy would love to talk to you if you've ever said anything slightly like that. People often think volunteering is just not as good as paid work. So even though I don't need the money, I'd rather get the affirmation of a paid job than volunteer. It's crazy. If you're in that situation, give your spare capacity to the Lord. What is the best thing that you could do? What is the wisest decision you could make? with the time that you have. I reckon there are two really obvious options if you're in this category. The first one is, if you love your paid job, if you can't imagine not being in it, if you, you know, it's just what you love to do, fine, keep working. But you said you don't need the money. Give all of that spare capacity to the gospel. Wouldn't it be great to drop $60,000 into the church plate? Wouldn't you love to do it? Do it in cash one day, just to <laughs> fill up the box. Just go, I'm working an extra five days a week. Uh, I'm working five days a week, every week, for all my life. I don't need the money. I'm going to drop it into the cash box. Or wouldn't it be great to go, I want to fund five MTS workers, and that will be my ministry. Wouldn't it be wonderful to start something new with CMS? If you have the spare capacity and you really need to do paid work because you love doing your paid work, well, then use that capacity for something awesome. We'd love to see that. Or... Now, I reckon this is more challenging. If you have spare capacity, if you're a couple and only one of you needs to work, why not employ yourselves as gospel workers? Give yourself a job. Say, I am now a full-time paid gospel worker. 
because my husband's off working and he said I can do that or vice versa, whatever it is. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could put 20 hours a week into ministry? Now you'll probably go, well, I don't know what to do now. Troy, he's right here. Just come and talk to Troy. He will write you a job description within 12 hours. That's his guarantee that I'm making on his behalf. (laughs) Come and talk. Use your spare capacity if you have it. Volunteering is not bad, by the way. CMS last year announced that they're going to shut down the volunteer program, which packs crates and sends out letters and all these kind of things, because nobody will volunteer. What a crying shame that would be. If you don't need to do paid work, there's some good works you can do. Send a crate load of school supplies to Tanzania for the Turners. They'd love you to do that. There's all sorts of things to do. If you have enough money, don't be bound by the decision to just do paid work. Question nine. Are we Christians really just saying, be really, really busy? Because it's kind of sounding like that with all these different things you're saying, all these good works that you could do, it's sounding really busy. It's true. We can feel like that which is why we read Mary and Martha. This is the little helpful corrective. Martha was a worker. She's the busy bee. She's off busy, busy, busy doing work. She's no nonsense. She gets on with it. Now, there are people like that amongst us all the time. They're great people to have in churches. Busy, busy, busy. But Martha made a mistake. Jesus came to her house and she was out cooking the lamb roast. Can you imagine how she felt for the rest of her life? Jesus was in my house and I was cleaning or cooking. Mary made the good choice. Mary sat there at Jesus' feet and listened to him. Now, we don't have Jesus coming over to our house. That's not the point. But there is a lesson here about choosing the best thing. Life is full of opportunities. The good works are wide. Some are better and some are not. There's a lesson to learn about choosing the right things at the right time. Sometimes we are busy just because we're making silly choices. We're prioritising things of this world instead of things of the kingdom. If you're learning three musical instruments and playing four different sports, something is messed up. Something is wrong. People are going to hell and you are becoming a second-grade soccer player. (laughs) Not many will play for Australia, right? Something is messed up if we are so busy making poor choices. We need to make the best choices. We want to be Mary, not Martha, and choose the better things. Now, busyness is not the problem here. Busyness is not bad. I take it that you will be busy as a Christian all your life because there's so much to do. We're not going to lie up on the beach for the rest of our lives. But we need to make the better choices. And there is the challenge and the tension. What are the better choices you can make You will probably need to do paid work. We all do. But what else can you do? How can you organise your paid work? Do you really need to do your paid work? What are the good works that you can do that Jesus has prepared for you to do? And question 10, last question. Why is work shaped by hope still hard? If you're a Christian and you have that Monday morning-itis that you get about now and I've just reminded you of it, I'm sorry... Listen to Ephesians 5, verse 15. It says, Pay careful attention, then, to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, 
because the days are evil. See, even with our hope in Christ, the days are evil. We're going to make wise decisions to make the most of our time, but the days are evil. And the solution to that is for people to come to know the Lord and for him to come back and restore all things. If you look at the world with gospel eyes, it is still tainted by sin. Work will still be hard for you. But you have the joy of knowing that Jesus is coming back. When he comes back, and he will, and I hope you think about that as you struggle in this sinful age, when he comes back, you will stand before him. And he's going to say to you, where is your fruit? My servant, where is your fruit? What are the good works that you have done for me and for my kingdom? And some will say, oops, like Martha, I didn't do the good works I should have done. I regret wasting my life, not choosing the better works that I could have chosen. But to others, Jesus is going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were wise with such a small amount and you used it to do wonderful good works. Yes, you had to do paid work, but you used it for the kingdom. You were faithful in your paid work. You worked with integrity and you worked with Christian hope. You've completed the good works I had for you to do. Now, I trust that that is what you want to hear from Jesus, that you have done the good works that he has prepared for you to do. As we wrap together this little series about work, in the end, it's not about your paid work. All of that is behind us. In Christ, we are in a new life. There's the picture on the screen. We have so much to do. Paid work will be one part of that. But you have so many good works to do for the Lord. Let's get on with doing those good works for his glory. I'm going to pray that that would be the case for all of us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have given us such good things to do. We thank you that you've remade us in Jesus and given us a point and purpose in life. May we be people who do the good works you've prepared in advance. May you help us to think about our lives, to restructure them if we need to, to make the better choices. May we use who we are, our opportunities, our personal situations, and be wise in these evil days, making the most of this time that you have given us. And Lord, we do pray that you'll come back soon so that the difficulties and toil of work in this world might be put behind us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.